chapter 18. I was back in the underground yurt pool, trapped, stuck to the taxon's tongue, but not a cockroach. I was myself, in my human body, only tiny, stuck, about to die. Axe was talking. Yurt pool, it's the center of their lives, almost a religion. I squirmed and tried to get away. I tried to change it to something else, the bear. I wanted to become the bear, but I was stuck. All I could do was beat my helpless butterfly wings. He showed us the drop shaft. Cassie's voice murmured in the back of my head. I swirled down dark corridors. I flew wildly on butterfly wings, always chasing a light that never drew closer and yet never disappeared. The Kendrona, I thought in my dreams. The light is the Kendrona, the center of their lives, almost a religion. No, not the yurt pool, really. The Kendrona. That is the center for them. That is their light. He showed us the drop shaft, Cassie said again. Only now she was Miss Paloma. My eyes snapped open. I sat up in my bed. I was as awake as I'd ever been. I was electric. Ha ha! I yelled in the darkness of my room. Yes. Then I hesitated. Was I nuts? Was I just desperate? I ran through it all again. Got him! I whispered. Oh man, we got him! Got the disgusting worms. I shucked off the T-shirt that I wear to bed and quickly slipped into my morphing outfit. I threw open the window. Then I paused. It would be Saturday morning in a few hours. No school. But if my mom found me gone, she might worry. I quickly scribbled a note saying I had gone for an early morning run. That I might go over to Cassie's afterward, and then I glanced at the picture on my desk, the one of three-year-old me on the balance beam, being held up by my proud father. I could not tell the others; we had already decided, we were going to say yes to the Elamist. We would let him take us to a place where there would be no battles and no need to decide. If I told my friends what I suspected, I felt the weight come down on me again. The weight of uncertainty and fear and guilt. I looked at the picture of my dad and smiled. What would you think of me, Dad, if I walked away when I still had a chance to win? And then I morphed. My arms shrank. My skin began to flow into patterns of soft feathers that could ride silently on the night breeze. In a few more minutes, I was ready. The moon was bright in the sky. Dawn was still hours away. A perfect night for an owl. But I paid no attention to the juicy prey below me as I flew at top speed toward the woods. Tobias, it's me. Don't panic, but wake up. What the? Didn't I tell you about zooming up in? Come on! I yelled. Come on, where? Don't argue. Just come on. I know you don't like flying at night, but just come on anyway. Rachel, have you lost your mind? Where are we going? We're going to be butterflies, Tobias. We're going to Cassie's barn, and then we're going to change history. He opened his wings and flew alongside me, just a few feet away. Whatever you say, Rachel, Tobias said grumpily. But what makes you think? I know where it is, Tobias. I interrupted him. Where what is? Tobias, I know the location of the Kendrona. 
Chapter 19 Okay, it's 3.47 in the morning, Marco said. And I'm here thanks to the fact that my dad is a sound sleeper who doesn't notice when I wake up screaming because an owl and a hawk have just flown through my window. So now maybe you can tell us all why we're here? Everyone was there in Cassie's barn. Jake looked sleepy but interested. Cassie was using the time to check on some sick animals. Axe just stood to one side, waiting to see what Jake would tell him to do. Tobias perched on an overhead beam, tired from having flown too much. We were lit by a single small bulb that never even touched the shadows in the corners of the barn. We didn't want to take the chance that Cassie's parents might notice a light on and come to investigate. Yes, I answered Marco. I'll tell you why you're here. I know where the Kendrona is. I know where it is. That got his attention, but he was still skeptical. What makes you think you know where the Kendrona is? The Elemist. He showed us. We all thought it was unfair when he appeared in the Yurk Pool and asked us to decide when we were about to be eaten, right? I told you, Elemists care nothing about fairness. Axe said. No, you're wrong, Axe. At least this time. The Elemist appeared when we were about to be swallowed by the taxon, but then he showed us the drop shaft. We saw the drop shaft because it was there, Jake argued. It wasn't about him showing it to us. Are you sure? I asked. He waited till we had walked out of the Yurk lunchroom to appear. He waited till we were standing where we would be sure to notice the drop shaft. I saw Jake raise an eyebrow thoughtfully. He and Marco exchanged a look. What if we were wrong about the Elemist being unfair? What if Cassie's instinct is right? That he's telling the truth? That he's trying to do what's right? He tells us that in the future we lose the fight. That the human race is enslaved. That he has a way to save a small number of us by taking us to a safe place. And it's all true. If he's telling the truth... Then we lose in the future. What's this all about? Marco asked. We've seen the future. Nothing we do will matter. I shook my head. No, it will matter. If it didn't matter how we decided, why even bother to ask us what we wanted to do? See? It does matter what we do. Yes, Marco said. But the answer is obvious. We can only change the future by agreeing to the Elemist's plan to take us to a safe planet. Yes, that's one way. He offered us that. But when we finally accepted, he didn't act. He didn't take us instantly away. Why? Why, after we agreed, did he leave us here? Because he wanted a different answer, Cassie said, nodding at me and giving me a wink. That's what's been eating at me. What different answer? Marco asked. He's in a trap, Cassie said. The Elemist is trapped. He wants to save Earth, but he can't interfere directly. Supposedly, all he's allowed to do is offer to save a small number of us. But he knows that won't save Earth. It will save a few humans, yes. But when he showed us the visions of Earth, he wasn't talking just about humans. He said Earth was a work of art. He wants to find a way to save it. Without interfering directly, I agreed. But what if we just happened to see another way? What if the Elemist showed us the future, trying to convince us to let him take us away? 
and we just happened to see a way out. What way out? Jake demanded. The Kondrona. He let us see where the Kondrona is, I said. That yerk pool downtown. That's the key. Why build a yerk pool downtown? Why level so many buildings to make room for it? Why leave the EGS tower still standing? And why is there a glass dome on the top floors of the EGS? Axe is the one who said it. The yerk pool is the center of their lives. That yerk pool? I think it's a shrine. Almost a holy place to them. It's where they located the first Kandrona to be placed on planet Earth. Jake snapped his fingers. The EGS tower! That's what's under the dome on the top floors. The Kandrona. That's what the Elemist wanted us to see. Just the way he let us see the drop shaft we used to escape. He wasn't interfering. Technically. The choice is still ours. Marco laughed out loud. You mean maybe the Elemist is bending his own rules? So he can say, hey, I didn't interfere. But at the same time, he's pointing us to where we can figure it out? I can't believe it. The Elemist is a weasel. He found a loophole. I think I'd like this guy. But even if you're right about the Kondrona, Rachel, Jake argued, what does it prove? If we destroy it, are we sure it will change the future? Cassie looked at me and smiled. Maybe yes, maybe no, she said. But things are connected in millions of ways. They say a single butterfly beating its wings in China can start a tornado in America. Yes, Tobias said. But how does the butterfly know when to beat its wings? It doesn't, I said. I guess it beats its wings the best it can and hopes it will all work out. It's a butterfly. It just does what butterflies do. And what do we do, Xena, warrior princess? Marco asked mockingly, knowing the answer I would give. We kick your butt, I said with a grin. Chapter 20 At 5.10 in the morning, the EGS Tower's windows were almost all dark. From the deeply shadowed plaza in front of the building, we could see a sleepy, uniformed guard inside the lobby. There are dozens of businesses and law firms and stuff in this building, Jake warned. Most of them are probably just normal people. Fortunately, at this time of day, almost no one will be here, but the guard is probably just a normal guy. How do we deal with him without hurting him? Cassie asked. Suddenly, Tobias swooped down out of the dark sky. I can't see anything useful through the windows up there, he said. Too bad that glass dome is still in the future. But I can tell you one thing. Something up there is giving off some heat. I'm getting a beautiful updraft from the building itself. Let's do this already, I grumbled. I started morphing into the bear. Okay, but take it easy on any innocent bystanders, Jake said. Tobias, I know you're wearing out, but stay up and keep an eye out while we morph. No prob, Jake. He flapped his wings and slowly gained altitude. These doors will be locked, Cassie pointed out. Not for long, I said. Axe was already demorphing, coming out of his human body and resuming his andalite shape. Jake's eyes were glittering. His body was lengthening, and striped orange and black fur was spreading like a wave over his skin. Cassie was already on all fours. Rough gray fur grew thickly around her shoulders. 
Her mouth bulged out further and further to form a wolf's muzzle. Hey, a guy's coming up behind you, Tobias called down. I think he's drunk. He's carrying a bottle. If it were daytime, I could read the label. He's definitely staggering. Keep morphing, Jake said quickly. Cassie, see if you can get rid of him. Cassie trotted off, already fully morphed. And a second later, we heard... Followed by a... Whoa! No way! And the sound of a crashing bottle and running feet. Cassie returned just as we were finishing our morphs. He decided to go in a different direction, Cassie reported. Okay, so let's go in, I said. I was fully the grizzly now, and feeling invulnerable. Actually, how about if Marco tries it first? Jake suggested. While the rest of us lurked in the shadows, Marco, now an extremely large, powerful gorilla, knuckle-walked to the glass door. He stood up on his hind legs and tapped with one massive finger on the glass. The guard jerked in his seat. He stood up and moved cautiously closer. Then he drew his gun. Hey, get out of here, the guard said. Hi, Marco said in thought speak. I just came from a masquerade party and I was looking for Visser 3. The guard's eyes went wide. Andalite, he hissed. Oh, so you are a controller. Good, that makes it so much simpler. With that, Marco punched straight through the thick glass of the door. Crash! His gorilla fist connected squarely with the guard's chin. The guard crumpled, still holding his gun. Move, move, move! Jake yelled. I barreled into the rest of the glass door. I was careful, but not too careful. I wasn't very worried about being hurt. Shattered glass flew everywhere. Cassie, Axe, and Jake leapt over the glass shards. Jake raced for the elevator. There may be an alarm. We have to move fast, Jake said. We'll never fit in one elevator, Marco said. Head for the freight elevator. That'll hold us, Jake said. Go for the top floor. Cassie and Axe kept an eye on all activity on the ground floor while they waited for the elevator to come back down. Jake, Marco, and I had the most firepower, so we went in first. We squeezed our combined bulk into one freight elevator car. Not an easy thing to do, but we managed it. Can you press the button? I sure can't, Jake said. He held up one of his huge paws to show me. It wasn't easy. Bear paws aren't exactly subtle tools. But after carefully lining up my first claw, I hit the top button. The doors closed and we rode swiftly upward. There was a safety inspection certificate mounted on one wall. I leaned very close to make out the letters and read aloud. It says here the maximum load is 20 people. How many bears, tigers, and gorillas? The ride seemed to be taking forever. I watched the counter tick off the floors. 21. 22. 23. So... Seen any good movies lately? Jake asked. I want to go see that new Keanu Reeves movie, I said. He's supposed to be cute, right? Duh, I said. I wonder if he'd ever want to go out with a girl like me. You know, lots of guys wouldn't want to date a grizzly bear. 
Suddenly, I realized there was music playing in the elevator. The usual stupid elevator music. Get ready, Jake said. Been ready. Top floor, ladies' shoes, children's apparel, everyone out. Marco announced in his best elevator operator's voice. The elevator stopped. The doors opened. Just as three humans and two hork were racing toward the elevator. Jake roared in a voice that could crack concrete. I echoed in my own muddier bear voice. I charged like an enraged bull. I went straight for the nearest hork That meant running through the closest human. I felt a slight thump as his body was knocked aside. I slammed into the hork The force of my charge just picked him up and carried him along till I hammered into the far wall. It didn't kill him, but he wasn't going anywhere. Jake took down the other hork with a lightning swipe of his claws. The remaining human bolted. I'm cut, Jake said. Is it bad? It isn't good, Jake said. But I'll be okay for a while. Just then, the elevator door opened, and Axe and Cassie piled out. About time, I said. We've taken care of the welcoming committee. Sorry, Axe pushed the button for the wrong floor, Cassie said. She glanced at the two hork You know they have more than those two up here guarding the Gondrona and- Jake! You're bleeding! Cassie cried. I'm fine. The human controllers ran down that hallway, Jake said. Let's go. We haven't won this battle yet. I took off at a loping run. The others were right behind me. My claws gouged the carpeted floor with every step. I couldn't see well, but I could smell the adrenaline of the frightened human controllers. I knew where they had gone. I could smell them. I could sense them. They had challenged me, and I was going to show them who was boss. Watch out, Rachel, Cassie called. There's a door straight ahead of you. Nah, there's no door, I said, and plowed all of my 800 pounds into a steel door that popped open like the lid of a jack-in-the-box. Inside, eight hork warriors stood ready. Eight walking razor blades. Eight of them. Five of us. No way we could win. A sensible person would have seen the odds and run away. But I charged straight at them. Later, everyone thought I was being brave. But you know what the truth was? The truth was, with my weak bare eyesight, all I could see was a blur. I thought they were humans. I wasn't brave. I was just blind. Chapter 21 Rachel! Cassie yelled a warning. Too late to retreat, Jake said. Go! I figured out the eight blurry figures were hork when I was about three feet away from slamming into the first one. By then, it was too late to stop. Kill the Grothnar Andalites, a hork cried in the weird mix of languages that they use. Kill Frogan Andalite! Halof! Kill all! Suddenly, I realized I was cut. A searing pain radiated from my shoulder. I swung my paw and hit the orc in the head. He fell, but as he fell, he slashed with his tyrannosaurus feet and ripped a second cut in me. Ah! From that point on, it was a nightmare of terrible images that seemed to flow in and out of my hazy vision. I saw Cassie, 
with her bone-breaking jaws sunk into the throat of a hork I saw Axe, his tail like a deadly bullwhip, lashing, cutting, lashing again, till one of the hork stood screaming, holding his own severed arm. I saw Jake and hork locked in a deadly embrace as they rolled and slashed at each other with superhuman speed. I saw Marco fighting with one arm as he held his own sliced stomach together with the other hand. And everywhere, snarling, growling, raging, roaring noise. Look out! Rachel! Behind you! Die, gruff, die! <laughs> Help! He's on me! Ah! I couldn't tell who was winning. I couldn't tell who was hurt. It all became one long cry. One long scream of rage. Horkbashir and Animorph. Alien and Animal. We were flesh and blood creatures thrown into a meat grinder. Thirteen deadly animals, locked in a combat to the death. I felt the bear weakening as he was cut again and again by Horkbashir blades. I was losing blood. The human part of me knew that. I could feel my strength ebbing. I charged again and hit a Horkbashir in the stomach. I carried him along with my momentum as he slashed wildly at me. Crash! I'd hit something. Glass. It had shattered. A window. I had shoved the hork through the window. Ah! I heard the hork cry, dying away as it fell. A sudden flash of movement, and something came zooming through the shattered window. <coughs> Tobias screamed as he spread his talons forward and struck the closest hork raking his eyes. The battle had turned. The hork had had enough. Maybe he was hearing one of their fellows fall sixty stories. Or maybe it was Tobias' arrival, strengthening our side. But whatever it was, the remaining hork ran. Three of them ran. The rest would not be running anywhere. Marco grabbed the crumpled door and slammed it back in place. Then, with what must have been the last of his strength, he shoved a desk in place to block the door. I'm hurt bad. Marco said. I gotta morph out, man. Do it, Jake said. Everyone, demorph. I'm okay, I said weakly. Rachel, Tobias said. Your left arm. I stared blankly at my left paw. It wasn't there. It was a stump. Demorphing, I said. I focused on my human body. My weak but healthy human body. Morphing is done from DNA, fortunately. DNA is not affected by injuries, so injuries do not follow you from one morph to another. Exhaustion does. As my human body emerged from the vast bulk of the grizzly, I felt so weary I was afraid I might faint. Through human eyes, I saw a scene of carnage. The hork laid sprawled around the room. Most seemed to be breathing. None were conscious. All were bleeding from claw and teeth wounds. Unfortunately for the hork they could not simply morph out of their injured bodies. Everyone okay? Jake asked, sounding as weary as I felt. Yeah, but that was way too close, Cassie said. We were in a large office. I could see that now with my human eyes. Desks lay splintered. The carpet was ripped into ribbons. The walls were gouged. Floor-to-ceiling windows formed one wall, 
they were shattered. I remember the Hork-Bajir falling and shuddered. There was a door in one wall. Through there? Marco suggested. Let's try it, I said. I staggered toward the door. It was not locked. A bare room, tile floor, white painted walls. The wall of windows was blocked by heavy curtains. The room was empty but for a large, massively built platform in the very center. It was a steel pedestal, maybe three feet high, eight feet long. And atop the pedestal was a machine the size of a small car. It was shaped like a cylinder, tapered to dull points on both ends. It gleamed brightly, like new chrome, as if it had just been polished. And it made a slight, low, humming noise. As I approached, I felt my hair stand on end from the static electricity. It was warm in the room. Very warm. It smelled like lightning. The Condrona, Ak said. The Condrona, I echoed. For a full minute, we all just stood there, gaping at it. Rachel, Jake said at last. We need you to morph again. Can you do it? I nodded slowly. Elephant? Elephant. I don't know how else we're going to do it. We don't have any tools or anything. I morphed the elephant. Tobias flew outside to make sure there were no pedestrians below on the dark sidewalk. It took every last ounce of power the elephant had, but the Condrona did move. It did, slowly, in jerks and starts, slide across the floor. And when I at last shoved it through the windows, it did fall the sixty stories to smash into the concrete below. We did it, I whispered as I returned to my normal body. We destroyed the Condrona. We have to get out of here, Jake said. The Yurks will know. They'll be all over this place. So what does this mean? Marco asked. We did it, but what does it mean? Have we changed the future? Everything changes the future. I groaned. Somehow I knew we'd hear from that guy again. A replacement Condrona will be here in three of your weeks. It was already on its way. Are you telling me this was all a waste? Marco demanded. Axe said, No, Marco, it was not a waste. Three weeks with only the Condrona aboard the mothership? In three weeks' time, they will suffer greatly. They will fall behind in their schedule. Many yurks will perish. Three weeks is not a waste. Don't you mean three of our weeks, Axe? Marco teased. Is it enough? Jake demanded loudly. Is it enough? Have we changed the future? There was no answer. Just silence. I don't think he knows, I said. He showed us a possible future. But you know what? I don't believe the Elemist really knows the future any more than we do. What makes you so sure? I laughed, because wherever it is the Elemist exists, and whatever he's up to, and whatever game he's playing, and no matter how mighty he is, he has butterflies too. Then, an amazing thing, laughter that welled up from inside us, and echoed through us, and made us all smile as if we were fresh and full of energy. Ha 
As I said, you are a primitive race, and yet you are capable of learning. I smiled. Come on, guys. Do you have the energy for one more morph? I feel like flying. Chapter 22 At first, we saw no evidence that the Yurks were suffering. I don't know how they did it, but the Yurks managed to maintain. It wasn't until later that we learned we had done them terrible damage. But that is another story. Two days later, I took the bus over to my dad's apartment. He was packing up his suitcase to leave. Hi, Rachel, he said when he opened his door. I wasn't sure you were coming over. I shrugged. You're too disorganized to be able to pack all by yourself. He smiled a sad smile. Thanks. Yeah, no big thing. I would have come to pick you up, he said. Sweetheart, my dad said. You know you can always change your mind. You can always come live with me. I know, Dad. He smiled sadly. You know, I'll miss seeing you as much, even though I'll be here every chance I get. I know that too, Dad. I gave him a little kiss on his cheek. He patted my hair, and I cried. I closed up his suitcase and zipped it. You going to be okay without me here to take care of you? He asked. I can take care of myself, I said, wiping away the tears. We took the elevator down to a taxi that was waiting. Come with me to the airport. I'll send you home in the cab. I shook my head. No, I have stuff to do. He smiled. I understand. You probably have something very important to do with your friends. It was a joke. Absolutely, I said. We have to save the world. My dad laughed. If anyone can do it, honey, it would be you. Then the taxi drove off. I looked up in the sky. A lone hawk circled overhead. You coming, Rachel? Tobias called down to me in thought speak. I nodded my head so he could see. Yes, I was coming. Hey, Phantomorphs! Thanks for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs Auditory Podcast. It's your host, Daniel. Well, we're here. The end of Book 7. I'm gonna be honest, I am kind of surprised I've made it this far. Both in the personal sense of sticking with this project as long as I have. Almost a year now, so we're coming up on that anniversary. And also, just legally, no one has sued me over this project. So, for both of those, and for all of you listening, I am grateful. Thank you. Um, we're just gonna keep on keeping on until someone or life stops me otherwise. I think I gotta, I gotta double check this, but I believe starting next week, we will be entering into 
the very first Megamorphs book. Megamorphs number one, I believe, is next. So that'll be uh, different, exciting, and take a lot longer than a usual book, because they're quite a bit thicker. So look out for that. I'd also like to plug my new side podcast, OK Crusader, which you can find at shoutengine.com slash okcrusader, or by searching iTunes and all the other various ways you can find a podcast. Uh, it's a it's a podcast where I invite some guests on, and we find a random Marvel character through the official Marvel wiki, and we discuss how dateable they are, you know? And it gets a little raunchy, and we all have a good time. So if that sounds like something you'd be into, go ahead and check that out. But if this, this show you're listening to right now is what you're into, you can find more of it at audiomorphs.podbean.com or by searching Audiomorphs on iTunes. And if you use iTunes, just please go ahead and give me a rating and a review. I'd really like to get some more of those. It makes me feel good. If you'd like to contact me, you can do that at audiomorphscast at gmail.com or audiomorphscast.tumblr.com. One other little note, um, this is a little a little out ahead, but coming up in July, I will be taking uh, the week of after July 4th, whatever that week is. Probably won't post. Um, I'll be out of the country. So just a heads up, I'll, I'll try to get a, a buffered and queue that up, but we'll see. Um, so if nothing happens, if nothing posts that week, that's what happened. Uh, but that's in the future. I will still see you all next week. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight 